Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. Thanks for tuning in to listen. Today, we're going to be talking about this question, is God's silence permissive? Before we get into our Bible study, I have a quick announcement to make. I got an email from Google. If you listen to this podcast using Google Podcasts, you need to know this. The email tells me that Google is going to discontinue their podcasting platform uh, next year, is what they say. They said, for now, nothing is changing and you can continue to use Google Podcasts as normal. But over the coming months, podcasts and YouTube music will be made available globally and we'll start rolling out tools that enable transfer for subscriptions and so forth and so on. Looks like they're going to be using YouTube Music for Google Podcast. I cannot guarantee you that this podcast is going to be available on YouTube Music. Uh, I can tell you this. My personal website is www.wordsoftruth.net. You can always go there and find the latest information. You can click on the podcast tab. Uh, there are a lot of sources to listen to this podcast um, my hosting company for the moment is Podbean, uh, but it's also available on Apple and and uh, and Spotify and other places. I've, I've been putting it up on YouTube and Rumble, but it doesn't get very much interest on those platforms. So going forward, I'm not sure where we will continue to focus attention and into releasing the podcast in certain places, but always go to my website and be able to check up on the latest there. So if you're using Google Podcast, you might want to, before they do goofy things with the podcast, switch over to another platform like Apple, Spotify, listen to it directly from my website or, or on the links under the podcast section of the website or on the audio section of my website. It's, it's going to be there consistently, uh, so you can count on that. So to our subject matter, is God's silence permissive? A lot of people when they're studying the Bible, when they're talking about spiritual matters, talking about the idea of sin. You know, sin is the transgression of the law, 1 John 3 and verse 4. And what they do is they look for the verse that says, don't do this, or the thou shall not. And there are verses like that in the Bible. You know, in Genesis 2, 17, uh, God told Adam of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, Thou shall surely die, so it's don't eat of this tree. In Exodus chapter 20, as Moses is giving law, verses 13 through 17 gives the, some of these thou shall nots. Thou shall not kill, thou shall not commit adultery, thou shall not steal, thou shall not bear false witness against thy neighbor, thou shall not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shall not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbors. Romans 13, 9 uh, gives us some of the thou shall nots. Uh, uh, says, thou shall not commit adultery, thou shall not kill, thou shall not steal, thou shall not bear false witness, thou shall not covet. If there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shall love thy neighbor as thyself. So there are definitely that thou shall not scriptures. And there are certainly scriptures that uh, explicitly condemn some things. Like in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, know you not, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's broad, but then there are some specifics given after that. It says, be not deceived, neither fornicators. So in addition to unrighteous people, it's not saying that fornicators aren't unrighteous. Obviously they are, but he gives some specific. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And Galatians 5, 19 through 21. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I've told you in times past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. So there are the thou shall nots. There are scriptures that prohibit certain behaviors, certain actions, like we just read a certain list of. But then there are things that aren't covered in the Bible. Like there's, there, there's not a thou shall not use cocaine. 
there is not a explicit condemnation against child molestation uh, where where it comes out and says a 30-year-old man may not have sexual you know interaction with a 10-year-old girl or whatever there's not these explicit statements and from within that framework and I know those are extremes uh, but sometimes the extreme is what helps us to see things more clearly so from within the framework of thinking if I'm looking for God didn't say this is wrong, therefore it's right, there are many, many things you would be able to do and get away with with that logic until the judgment day. The thinking that permission exists in silence is extremely wrong. Instead of saying, what's wrong with doing this? We need to be asking what's right about doing this. In Romans 14, the context of the chapter and going into the next chapter in chapter 15 is about authorized liberties, the, the freedom to celebrate certain days, eat certain meats, etc. In that context, in, in matters of scruples, uh, Romans 14, 23 says, And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Now, how do we, how do we get faith? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. We're supposed to walk by that faith. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. So the positive method of studying the Bible is, I want to make sure this is acceptable to God, before I do it. Now, there are times where, you know, we maybe make a lot of things more diff difficult than they need to because we look for the prohibitive scriptures. We look for the scriptures that tell us not to do things. You know, for example, one hot button issue of our day is the sin of homosexuality. So generally speaking, when we encounter the discussion of homosexuality, we want to turn back to Genesis 18:23 through 19:29 and we want to show people that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because of the sin of homosexuality. And that's not necessarily wrong. You know, when we look at the New Testament, uh, Peter and 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 Jude both refer to Sodom and Gomorrah, 2 Peter 2:6 says, turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that should live ungodly. Jude verse 7 says, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and his cities about them like men are giving themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh, they're set forth an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So we look at those texts and, and hey, I'm not saying don't use those scriptures to condemn homosexuality. I mean, Obviously, that would fly in the face of, of inspired men doing that in 2 Peter 2, 6 and Jude verse 7. But because we do this in certain areas, people begin to think that we need to do it in all areas. But the Bible is not a do not book, right? The scriptures guide us. They teach us. They lead us into spiritual life. They teach us how to grow spiritually, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11. They teach us how to be godly. That's not always through do not or thou shall not or if you do this, you'll go to hell type statements. Uh, a lot of times when I cover homosexuality and those of you that are familiar with uh, some of my teaching, one of the things I like to do is to show homosexuality wrong and, and not that I won't use Genesis 18 uh, and 19, certainly will and do and have. But in addition to that, Statements like Jesus made in Mark 10, 6, and 7. From the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. So for those people out there that get into this gender debate and gender fluid and all that stuff, right there, all of it's wrong, boom, discussion closed, right? From the beginning of the creation of God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. That text authorizes marriage between a man and a woman. 1 Corinthians 7, 2, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Listen, those two scriptures answer it all. You don't need to spend any more effort 
going about. Now you can lay the question in somebody else's hands. These two scriptures authorize marriage between a man and a woman. Where did God authorize marriage between a man and a man, a woman or a woman, or a mentally ill person that doesn't understand their gender? Where did he authorize that? And, and the onus of, of, of evidence is upon them. They have to show that God is pleased with these things. And they can't, right? We don't have to go and extend ourselves out on these, these tree branches where we feel like we need to show this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. And I want you to follow me through this uh, lesson because I'm going to prove it to you and we're going to see it very clearly. When we look at the scriptures, the creator gave us a conscience and that conscience works right when people do not corrupt it. There are things we know without even opening the scriptures. Uh, you know, for example, in Romans chapter 2, the context is condemning the hypocrisy among some of the Jewish Christians. There's a problem in Rome between the Jews and the Gentiles and that congregation. In Romans 2, 12 through 15, says, For as many have sinned without law shall also perish without law, and as many have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contain the law, these, having not the law, are law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. You know, I don't have to go to the Bible and show you thou shalt not murder. An uninfluenced child knows that without somebody turning in the Bible and showing them that. There are some things that we know. You know, when, when you're, you go to Lowe's, and just, just to think about the subject matter of homosexuality just as an, an illustration, when you go to Lowe's and you buy an extension cord and you're looking to extend a male plug into a female end and then into a, a male plug into your outlet, you know that uh, uh, extension cord, if it has two male ends to it, isn't going to work, right? Because you have nothing to plug into. Ladies and gentlemen, it's logical. It doesn't even have to be a Bible study that the exit place on a, a person is not also an entrance, right? Try to keep this as clean as can be. Anybody who has a brain, that's why people that are confused, you know, whether it's uh, the, the politicians in Washington, D.C., school teachers, whatever, they're all mentally insane. I don't understand how they have driver's license. You don't know the difference between a male and a female? Like when the baby comes out and he's got something there between his legs, he said, it's a boy. Well, how do you know that? Hmm, right? Same way you know the difference when you buy that extension cord. We don't even need scriptures in that discussion. It just does not work. Two men can't have a baby. Two women can't have a baby. Things don't work, right? It it's, should be logical. Our conscience should burn within us when we see those types of things. Now, let me come back to our subject matter. Looking to silence as permission is a logical fallacy. We need to reason for a moment. Acts 17.3, you know, when Paul is preaching, he opens an alleged that Christ must needs have suffered, risen again from the dead, and this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Uh, opens and alleges from the scriptures, teaches from the scriptures. But then what do people need to do with that? They need to be able to reason. Acts 17.2, the previous verse. Paul, as his manner was, went unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. So let's reason. If, and, and, and we'll start with just a logical conclusion. You go to your favorite restaurant. You order something that, you know, should, the bill should come up to, I don't know, $35.00. And you're, 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 you're looking at the menu, you see everything you, you, you want, everything else, and 
you, you've got your money ready to pay and you've got a little tip for the waiter or a waitress uh, because they've done good service to you. And the waiter or waitress comes to you and they lay down this long receipt and the total is $2,400. Includes all kinds of things that you did not order. Why would you not pay for that? Well, you wouldn't pay for that because you didn't order it, right? Well, you, you then tell your waiter or waitress, I did not order all this food. What, what are you doing? And they said, oh, well, you didn't explicitly state that you didn't want all this food. We have it all packed up and ready to go for you. Would you say, oh, okay, my bad. I didn't go through the menu and say, I do not want the steak. I do not want the salmon. I do not want the fried chicken. I do not want the pepper chicken. I do not want the blackened chicken. I do not want the Caesar salad. Am I making you hungry? <laughs> we don't communicate that way, do we? Well, neither does God. Could you imagine how large the Bible would be if God said everything that you cannot do? Can you imagine? It'd be ridiculous, right? You cannot steal your neighbor's television. You cannot steal your neighbor's shoes. You cannot steal, right? I mean, it would be ridiculous, right? We don't communicate that way. We understand that when we make a certain order, that that excludes everything else, that we don't want anything else to be part of what, we, what we've desired. What would you do if you went in for surgery? Say you fractured a bone in your leg and you wake up from the surgery and both of your arms are missing. And I mean, I'm, I'm getting, man, that, that's a scary thought. Just hate that I even brought that up. I just, I've had some surgeries, you know? I, if you know what it's like to go through surgery, when you wake up, you kind of don't know what's going on and you've missed some time and that's about all you know, right? After you've been under for a while. Uh, both your arms are missing. My goodness, that would be terrible. And, and the, your first thought is they made some kind of mistake on, on, on the chart. Well, no, they fixed the bone fracture, but you didn't tell the surgeon that you didn't want your arms amputated. Come on, right? Not, nobody ever reasons this way except for when it comes to the Bible. When it comes to the Bible, people want the thou shall not cut off my arms before they'll call it wrong. We do not think this way. And I, I don't think this way when it comes to the Bible. I'm just saying we human beings don't think this way in other areas, restaurants, doctor's offices, surgeries, you don't think this way when you're ordering from online vendors. You know, if you ordered $1,500 worth of, of product from somewhere and you ended up with a $25,000 bill on your credit card, you would lose your mind. And if they came back and said, but you didn't say you didn't want, could you imagine how long you would be on Amazon.com if you had to exclude everything you didn't want in an order? Now imagine the Bible, right? When God doesn't authorize something, it makes it wrong for us to do it. In Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 30 and 31, think about how the Lord reasons here. It says, For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, saith the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it. And they have built the high places of Tophet, which is the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which... I commanded them not, neither came into my heart. What made it wrong? It made it wrong because God didn't tell them to do it. Jeremiah 19.5 is the same point. They have built high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings unto Baal, which I commanded not, nor spake it, neither came it into my mind. Enjoy this study with me for a moment. I want to start off thinking about what fornication is. You know, we have passages like Ephesians 5 and verse 3. It says, But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not once be named among you as become a saint. So 
Fornication is from the Greek word pornea. If you were to pull out your concordance, if it's numbered to Strong's number, it's 4202. If you were to pull out a, a dictionary, I'm going to give you Thayer's Greek to English uh, definition of pornea. Number one, illicit. Now, if you don't understand what that word means, it means not permitted, unlawful. That's what the English word means if you use Webster's Dictionary. So illicit or unlawful sexual intercourse. So what is fornication? Fornication is unlawful sexual intercourse. Then Thayer goes on to give sub-definitions. Adultery, fornication, homosexuality, lesbianism, intercourse with animals, etc. Sexual intercourse with close relatives. He cites Leviticus 18. Sexual intercourse with divorced man or woman. He cites Mark 10, 11, and 12. Then metaphorically, the worship of idols, of the defilement of idolatry as incurred by eating the sacrifices offered idols. So that's the, the Greek word as it is understood, as it is used. The number one definition is unlawful sexual intercourse. What makes something fornication is the fact that God did not authorize it. He did not permit. So what makes homosexuality, fornication, is God did not permit man and man or woman and woman to have sexual intercourse. That makes homosexuality fornication. If you take the position that God's silence is permissive, you have destroyed the meaning of fornication. Sexual intercourse outside of marriage is fornication because sexual intercourse is only authorized within a marriage. Hebrews 13, 4, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Now, take two 15-year-olds, two 20-year-olds, two 25-year-olds, whatever the case may be. If you go with the idea that God's silence is permissive, you're saying fornication is not really fornication. Think about that. Let that sink in for a moment. Fornication is a broad term. covers all unauthorized sexual intercourse. It makes it so that if that 15-year-old and 15-year-old or 23-year-old, 23-year-old who are unmarried, if they have sexual intercourse, they're fornicators because they're not married. Going back to the 1 Corinthians 7, 2 point that we read earlier to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and every woman her own husband, you're destroying God's purpose of sex within the marriage when you take the position that silence is permissive. Now, I want to build upon this. I want to prove to you in various ways, very strongly and very clearly, that God does not authorize through silence. And I want to start this point of our lesson in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 6 is the key verse, but I'm just going to back up to verse 1. It says, Let a man so account of us as ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me is a very small thing that I should be judge of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self, for I know nothing by myself. Yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsel of the heart. Then shall every man have his praise of God. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up one against another. So did you hear that? Not to think of men. That's italicized. So really, it's not to think above that which is written. Do not think above that which is written. So Bible examples of this. Nadab and Abihu did what God did not command. They didn't violate a thus shall not. But Leviticus 10, 1 and 2, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them as censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. So what made it wrong? 
the fact that they did something that God did not permit. What happened as a result? There went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. You see, God authorized certain fire. For example, in Leviticus 16.2 or 16.12, he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord in his hands, full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. So that's just one example where God authorizes something. When you do what he didn't tell you to do, you have done something that's wrong. The thou shall not is in the fact that God didn't say go and do. Nadab and Abihu erred, they sinned, they died because they did what God did not permit. Why couldn't Christians command circumcisions? Why can't we now? You know, in Acts 15.1, certain men went down from Judea and taught the brethren and said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. So they commanded this. Well, what made that wrong? If you read the context, you'll get to Acts 15.24, where it says, For as much as we have heard that certain went out from us and troubled you with words, subverting your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. That's the apostles and elders in Jerusalem, the congregation there involved. What made the binding of circumcision wrong upon the members of the Lord's body was there was no such commandment. It wasn't authorized. Right? The Ark of the Covenant was to be handled by the Levites. Deuteronomy 10 and verse 8, At that time the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister unto him, and to bless his name unto this day. There were specific instructions. In Exodus 25, 12 through 14, Thou shalt cast four rings of gold on it, put in the four corners thereof. Two rings shall be in the one side of it, two rings in the other side of it. Thou shalt make staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold. Thou shalt put the staves in the rings by the sides of the ark that the ark may be borne with them. Certain instructions, right? Well, what happened when man went beyond those instructions? Now, there is not a thou shalt not carry the ark this way, this way, this way, this way. Well, in 2 Samuel 6, David had, and I'm just starting at verse 1, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel. I'm going to go down through verse 7. 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him, Baal of Judah, to bring up thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwells between the cherubims. And they set the ark upon a new cart, brought it out of the house of Abinadab, and was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. They brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which is at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark, and David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all the instruments made of fir wood, even harps and psalteries and timbrels and cornets and cymbals. And when they came to Nashon's threshing floor, Elza put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. So Uzzah here is not a Levite. He's not doing as the Lord instructed, even though the Lord did not explicitly condemn how they're transporting the ark, he did tell them how he wanted them to do it, which made any other way wrong, right? Well, Uzzah does something good. The ark of the covenant, where the high priest is going to communicate with God from inside the holy of holies of the tabernacle, is about to fall off the cart. Uzzah grabs it. You know what happens? The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and therefore he died by the ark of God. Why has God put him to death? Because he did what he was not authorized to do. When you read the accounts, you know, you could keep reading here, or you could go over to 1 Chronicles 13 and read through chapter 15. David finally gets the correction in 1 Chronicles 15 too. David said, none ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and minister to him forever. Had David just given that instruction before Uzzah did what he did, Uzzah would have still been alive. But he did what God did not authorize. Real simple, folks. Real simple. The principle of, hey, God wants me to do this and do that is not just about explicit statements or condemnation either. There's also the following of a pattern or a form. Uh, in 1 Timothy 1.16, Paul says, 
Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy that me first, Jesus Christ, might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life of wrestling. So look at Paul's being forgiven and being saved as a pattern to how to be saved. And we understand that. We, we look at Acts 9, we look at Acts 22, we look at Acts 26. We see things that Paul did to be saved. We teach that to people today, just like other conversion accounts. And we teach what's relevant in those accounts to people today. Paul also told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.13, hold fast the form, or again, the word form there means pattern, of sound words, which thou hast heard of me and faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. So follow the pattern. Going back in the Old Testament, how did God communicate to his people about the tabernacle before the temple was built? He showed them. Exodus 25, verses 1 through 9, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering. Of every man that giveth willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you have taken them, gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skins, dyed red and badger skin and shittim wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. So it's follow the pattern. What David said to Solomon when the temple was to be built in 1 Chronicles 28, uh, 11 through 19, he gave the pattern of the porch. And as you read through this context, everything that was to be uh, in the uh temple that Solomon was to be built. Verse 19 says, this said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his word upon me, even all the works of this pattern. Follow the pattern. Jesus followed a pattern. John 8, 38, I speak that which I have seen of my father, and you do that which you've seen of your father. In the context, he's calling the Jews that were present in this particular time, disciples of Satan. He's saying, I followed my pattern of my father, God above, you're following Satan. One or the other, right? Jesus was a pattern follower, left a pattern for us to follow as he went through this world. In Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, wherefore seeing we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, the people of faith in Hebrews 11, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author or the source and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, for considering that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. In 1 Peter chapter 2, 21 through 23, for even here unto where you called, because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. So we look to Jesus, he's our example, he's our pattern. This is how you live godly. We follow after examples, not just, you know, go and do this, but also the examples of the godly who have lived before us, who are recorded in the scriptures as a pattern, as an example of how to live godly. Paul said in Philippians 4.9 to the saints in Philippi, those things which I have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be uh, with you. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, there's a problem in Thessalonica. There were some Christians there that did not want to labor, did not want to earn uh, wages. So Paul and Timothy and, and Silvanus, when they were among them, they, they worked to give them an example. Notice what is said in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 10. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walk disorderly, not after the tradition which you have received of us. For yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, meaning authority, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we command you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. So Paul says, hey, we have the authority, because they did, as teachers of the gospel, they had the authority to be supported 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 14, but they decided to work to leave an example to those brethren that needed to see it in Thessalonica. 
Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 1 says, be you followers of me, even as I'm Christ. So the pattern, follow the pattern, follow the instruction. Don't add. Don't, don't sit there and say, well, okay, I see what Paul did, but God didn't say I couldn't, or I see what Jesus did, but God didn't say I couldn't. You know, we, we see it with the Lord's Supper, for example. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper in Matthew chapter 26, uh, 17 and following. And in that pattern, he used unleavened bread and fruit of the vine. Paul referred to that in 1 Corinthians eleven sixteen through 34 when he was addressing the abuses of the Lord's Supper in Corinth. The night in which the Lord was betrayed referred to that as the authoritative standard for the practice of communion or the Lord's Supper. So we do that. We go back and we see, hey, unleavened bread, fruit of the vine, Matthew 26, 17 through 30. We don't add to that. We, we, we don't say, you know what? We're going to, uh, for the Lord's Supper uh, on the next first day of the week, we know it's the first day of the week, Acts 20, verse 7, we're going to have steak and, and we're going to have french fries and we're going to have ketchup and we're going to have sweet tea. As much as that may sound good, that's not what the Lord authorized. Well, the silence people who look for authority where there is no condemnation of something would say, okay, but he didn't say we couldn't, and that would be where they would reside. Well, I've already proven to you that is not how we're to please God. That is not how we're to follow our Lord's instructions. And I want to add now further evidence. You know, when we look at the scriptures, there are good, good men who have done a lot of good things, and a lot of them have good intentions. But like we proved with Uzzah, good intentions doesn't equate to authority. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, came to pass when the king sat in his house, this is David, Lord had given him rest about from all his enemies, so a time of faithfulness. The king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. So this is before the temple is built by Solomon, right? Nathan said to the king, Go do all that in thy heart, for the Lord is with thee. So Nathan the prophet's conclusion is, God's with you, so whatever you do is going to be right. Similar to the subject matter we have right now, right? Where people are looking at Bible authority, authority from God, from the standpoint of there's no prohibition. God didn't tell David, don't build something, so it, it must be all right. So it came to pass that night, the word of the Lord came unto Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, Shall thou build me a house for me to dwell in? Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time I brought up the children out of, out of Egypt, even this day, but have walked in a tent and a tabernacle. And all the places wherein I've walked with all the children of Israel, spake I word with any of the tribes of Israel, whom I've commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, Why build ye me not a house of cedar? Now therefore, so shall thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from a sheep coat, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest, and cut off all thy enemies out of thy sight, and made thee a great name, like in the name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them that may, may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. And as since that time I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from all my enemies, as the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee in house." And when thy days be fulfilled, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So look, God didn't ask David to do it. God had a plan, and it wasn't God's purpose to say to David, hey, um, preemptively, I just want to tell you, don't build me a house of cedar because I plan on your son doing that, Solomon doing that for me. God has to step in here through Nathan the prophet and correct Nathan and David. I didn't ask you to do this. What would make it wrong is that God didn't ask them to do it. You have to be able to see that. If God didn't say it's right, that makes it wrong. Jeremiah 32, 35 
They built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire into Moloch, which I commanded them not. Neither came into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause you to sin. See, that's a third time we've referred to the book of Jeremiah where God condemned their practice of idolatry, not from the standpoint of, I said thou shalt not, but from the standpoint of, I didn't instruct you to do this. That made it wrong. When you're converted, even in the Old, Old Testament, you have to walk away from your way of thinking. In Isaiah 55, 6 through 9, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways... Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Let that sink in for a minute. Think about that. Are you thinking about it? Do you know better how to please God than God knows how to communicate to you? That's what man is saying when man invents, creates, Something that God didn't ask for. That's what we're saying. God's not pleased by that. And then what man will do is he'll do what God didn't ask for, and then he'll proceed to justify it. Proverbs 16, 2, All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Proverbs 21, 2, Every man of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. Man will have a way to justify it. That doesn't make it right. When it originates from man, it's wrong. It's wrong. You know, we could spend a whole podcast on how we cannot, man cannot create his own doctrine. And there are whole chapters of the Bible, like Colossians chapter 2, a whole chapter of the Bible dedicated to that very point, that man cannot create his own ways, even if those ways seem to be religious or right on the outside. You know, go read Colossians chapter 2 and see what's said there. I'm going to give you Mark 7, uh, 1 through uh, 13. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. When they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashing hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. Now here's the thing. They've created their own tradition. But there is nothing within the law of Moses or the prophets or the Psalms, which was the law up to this point in time for them, which commanded them to eat after they washed their hands. So verse 4, when they are come to the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be, which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. The Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders? But eat bread with unwashing hands. He answered and said to them, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So if it originates with man, it's vain. It's empty. Verse 8, For laying aside the commandment of God. See, when you create your own way, even if you try to justify it, you're then laying aside the commandment of God. Jesus said, Ye hold the tradition of men as washing of pots and cups and many other such things you do. And he said to them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. You're rejecting God's word when you do it your way. You're rejecting God's word. He said, For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso cursed his father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corbin, that is to say, a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. He said, so Moses gave an instruction, and you gave an explanation of that instruction. Further, ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which you have delivered in many such things you do. So, hey, the stake and the french fries for the Lord's Supper. Yeah, God didn't say don't do that. He didn't. But you've made the word of God of none effect when you create such traditions. You're condemned for that. So plain and simple, how do we 
know and do what's right in the sight of God. In Genesis 6, 22, thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Isn't that real simple? What are we supposed to hold fast to? 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. That means test everything, hold to what's good. Not what's good to you, but what's good to God. The scriptures fully equip us. In 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise in salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God as prophet for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So the word of God thoroughly furnishes us to all good works. I have Bible studies with people. I'll give you a subject that tends to be a hot button issue in the world of quote unquote religion. I will tell people, hey, look, you're part of a church that has colleges. If God wanted Christians to form Christian colleges, you'd read about it in the scriptures. That's real simple, right? It's like David wanting to build God a house of cedar. What makes David wrong is that God didn't ask him to do it. What makes you wrong is God did not ask you to create this college. Now, of course, people will answer and say, well, but the church isn't paying for it. It doesn't matter who pays for it. A college cannot be a Christian, nor should any human institution of like nature profess to be or involve itself in God's work. That's of the world. Education is a worldly uh, thing. Uh, that falls into a realm outside of the purview of the scriptures. Don't do it. Instead of saying, well, what's wrong with it? Which is generally the response. No, the question is what's right with it? Ephesians 5.10, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Forget about who pays for it. When does God show you that he wants you to form an institution of secular education? He doesn't. He doesn't. Who's to bring up children? Parents, right? Fathers, explicitly in Ephesians 6 and verse 4, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Not schools, etc. Right? Now, hear Jesus out. Think about these set of instructions. To the apostles, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, meaning authority, is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and law I'm with you all, even under the world. Jesus just put a cap on what they are to teach. Teach what he has commanded. Then he asked this question in a different context, Luke 6, 46. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? In a different context where a woman wants to bless or somebody wants to bless uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Jesus' response, Luke eleven twenty eight. 28, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Here's a real clear, easy one for you to remember. John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Don't go out and create what you think is right. Ask, by whose authority am I doing this? In Colossians 3, 16, 17, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever, what's that cover? Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 and 2. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us, how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Look, we've got these scriptures. If we're not going to the scriptures and we're not finding faith in them that what we're doing is right, that makes it sin. Remember what we read in Romans 14, 23. He that doubteth his damned feet because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Ladies and gentlemen, this ought to be very clear. It's not that difficult. The true Christianity that we are to live in front of this world is that simple. If the Lord said it, I'm going to do it. If he showed it to me, I'm going to do it. If he didn't, I'm not. Think about 
what is recorded from the beginning of the law of Moses all the way to the last page on your Bible. Just follow me here. And I'm not going to give you every scripture that says this, but give you a few. Deuteronomy 4.2, you shall not add unto the words which I command you, neither shall you diminish out from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I commanded you. Deuteronomy 12.32, whatsoever thing I command you, observe to do it, thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. Proverbs 35 and 6, every word of God is pure. He is a shield in them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he be reproved thee, and thou be found a liar. Galatians 1, 6 through 9. I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel than that which you have received, let him be accursed. Revelation 22, 18 and 19. I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the, of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, out of the holy city, and from the things that are written in this book. That, ladies and gentlemen, is unmistakably clear. We do what we can turn in our Bibles and say God is pleased with. We don't that which we don't find in our Bibles. We aren't looking for the thou shall not. We're looking for the go and do or go and say, and not necessarily in those terms. We're looking for the pattern. This is how Christians lived, worked, and worshiped under the direction of God. So this is how we will live, work, and worship under the direction of God. We do not say, but God didn't say it's wrong. If you're still confused after this lesson, I have to say, this is my best effort. Maybe in 10 years I can do something better for you, but right now this is my best effort. This, this is my thoughts pouring out to you, trying to get you to reason. I think it's very simple. It's very clear. Um, I was taught on a much more elementary level these principles before I obeyed the gospel. As I've studied from cover to cover many times the Bible, that truth has never changed. We do not find authority in God's silence. We look for his permission. We look for what's right. So say you're going to hire a contractor. You're going to get some work done on your house. What do you expect that contractor to do? Whatever you, he wants because you didn't list all the things that he didn't? No. Well, the same is the way our Lord communicates to us. Whatever illustration you want to use, the scriptures I have provided prove the point. The illustration is just to try to help you think about it. We don't communicate this way. Neither does God. Neither does God. I hope you've learned from this lesson. There is not authority in silence. I hope you learn from it. Because if you follow the simple method of prove to me this is right. You know, I think of all the arguments that have existed over the Bible over the years how they could be so much more easily resolved if man walked away from human reasoning. Because there's a way that seemeth right in the man, but the end thereof, the ways of death, Proverbs 16, 25. Man walked away from human reasoning and just said, wait a minute, I can't read that in the Bible. I can't see that authorized under the law of Christ. Those debates would have never occurred. Man start, starts thinking beyond the page, gets into all kinds of trouble. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what I've got for you. Hope the podcast has been beneficial to you. As always, if you got some questions about this or other things, call me up, 915-525-5794, or email me from the website, wordsoftruth.net. Excuse me, I'll do all that I can to help you. I hope that you'll tune back in as we're studying through 1 Peter on Sunday. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I will say goodbye.